if you live on a ranch or if you live on a farm or if you lived, maybe you grew up on a farm or a ranch or whatever, there was one thing that everybody probably experienced. And this is it. Chores. <laughs> How many of you guys grew up having to do chores? Anybody grow up? How many of you guys have the pleasure of doing chores now? Amen. How many of you guys have kids that do chores for you? Can I get an amen? That's why we had them. That's what I'm talking about. Well, here's the thing. So many chores are, are so, I, I, again, some chores are bad. And then some chores are really fun. I'll share some of my bad chores that I used to have to do. We grew up with, obviously, dogs. We had some hunting dogs and all that stuff. And I am telling you, if you've never experienced it, dog crap is the worst crap ever. Can I get an amen? I mean, I can do chicken crap. I can do, you know, horse crap. I can do cow crap. I can do all those craps. I just said craps a lot. But I can do all of that, but one of the chores that I hated the most, and this is why I don't have hunting dogs, I'll just lease them or something or borrow neighbors, is you have to scoop the crap out of the pen. Can I get an amen? I mean, it's terrible. Here's a, so I hated that growing up. I used to take care of you know, other people's dogs, and I had a few labs myself. We would duck hunt a little bit. But um, So you know, scooping poop, I mean, that's the worst. Uh, another job that I hated growing up is my friend. One of my friends had, uh, there was this craze that uh, everybody went out and bought what this bird called an emu. Anybody ever heard of the emu? Anybody ever seen an emu? Anybody ever had an emu? You, you raised emus, anybody? No one. See, you're all smart. You had some? You already have a truckload of them on from Arizona to New York. A truckload of them on. No, thank you. So I had a friend. He got into the emu craze back in the 90s, right? Remember that when everything was about emus and ostriches? And if you've never seen an emu, I wish I had a picture, but I don't. But they're like ostriches, but a little smaller and meaner. I'm telling you, they're mean. I, if you've ever been flogged by a chicken, you, that holds no candle to being flogged by an emu. Anybody with me? I had a friend who owned the emus. He actually got flogged in the face by an emu. And I mean, their, their toenails and, and, you know, what do you call them? Fingers, feet, toes, whatever. They are long. And I'm telling you, they have the worst crap ever. And I had to scoop crap from my friend. And I told him after that, I was like, I'm done, man. No more emu crap. And so I hate I hated scooping poop, all that fun stuff. The other thing that I don't like as far as chores go is doing the dishes. Can I get an amen? How many of you guys don't like doing dishes? All right. How many of you guys? Yeah. I, 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 for some reason, it's just, I just hate doing dishes. And maybe it's because I spent good money on a dishwasher, and I don't want to do the stinking dishes before I put them in the dishwasher. Come on, people. I don't know why I'm going to old people all the time, but old people, they like to wash their dishes before they put them in the dishwasher. Can we just get over that? I'm just telling you, I will not do that. I will let the dog lick them off before I, you know, do the dishes and then put them in the dishwasher. So those are some of the chores that I don't like. Well, there's some chores that I do like. How many guys, you know, you have a chore that you do like? I love mowing. Anybody love mowing? Yeah, man, I love getting on the riding lawnmower and it's therapy for me, right? Because no kids can catch me. <laughs> I'm going too fast. Um, but, you know, I love mowing. And then here's something else that I love. And some of you guys are going to hate this, but I love weed eating. 
Any weed eaters in the house? Come on, people. I'm telling you, if you mow your yard and you don't weed eat it, you might as well have not had mowed it because it looks like poop. You know what I'm saying? I mean, seriously, I love weed eating, but not everybody loves weed eating. But I think weed eating is like the icing on the cake, man. If you, again, if you, I just, I want to weed eat your yard. That's how much I love it. Come on over, right? Come on over, right? I was, okay, I'm kidding on that. I'm not coming to your house. But anyway, so I love that. I love, here's the other thing I love. I love feeding animals. I love, you know, putting out hay, you know, for the cows or the horses or whatever. I love throwing scratch out for the chickens and watching them go nuts. I mean, I love feeding animals. I mean, it's just one of my favorite things to do. We grew up um, on a little farm and and my dad, he went to the stockyards one day and bought a hundred chicks, a hundred. And we raised those chicks and we would, you know, feed them and all that stuff. And then we had to butcher them where, you you know, you guys have ever done this. This is probably too much for the little kids. But we used to stick two nails in a stump and stretch their head out. And then what would you do? Bye-bye. And then you throw a chicken and it'll chase you without its head. Amen. Anybody want to come to Jesus, little kids? Or do you want to go to ranch kids and you won't have to deal with me? But I'm just telling you, it was, it was so fun. I'll never forget this, too. We had rabbits growing up. I'm telling you, rabbits, I don't care if they're male, they're pregnant. <laughs> Every rabbit I've ever had had a kid. I'm telling you, or had a baby rabbit. I mean, they multiply. I remember my mom went out to the rabbit pen one day, and she came back in after she fed them or whatever she did, and she goes, do rabbits hiss? And I was like, no. And so we went outside, and underneath the rabbit pen, guess what was there? A big, huge bull snake. Amen. My mom never did the chores again. (laughs) Never did them again. But here's the thing. One of my goals in life is to teach my kids how to be hard workers. Can I get an amen on that? Parents, come on. I want to teach my kids how to be hard workers. Therefore, my kids, guess what? They have chores. And here's the, here's the funny thing. It, it, it's so fun to watch how kids respond differently to doing chores. Are you with me? You, maybe you have more than one kid, and they have obviously different personalities. Well, I have one. I'll give you a, two different attitudes toward, you know, uh, from my sons. I have one son, seven years old, um, and you know, when it comes to chores, here, here's his attitude. Do I really have to? I mean, it's hot outside. I mean, really, how long do I have to feed? I mean, so how much scratch do I have to throw out? Do I really have to fill the... I'm just like, come on, kid. I mean, he, again, love my kid, love my child, but I'm telling you, his attitude toward work and hard work is not what it needs to be. (laughs) I'll say it that way. And so here's the funny thing, though. As a parent, I want you to hear this, parents. Um, Here's what I've learned. Don't complain about what you can, what you tolerate. <laughs> I'm fixing to give you a parent lesson. You ready? I, I, I have the ability to change my child's attitude. And so what I did is I took Hampton. I just gave it away. <laughs> took Hampton, seven years old. I took him. I said, hey, bud, we're going to go for a ride. We're going to go get donuts. That was code for I'm going to teach you a life lesson on the way. <laughs> and so we got in the car and I looked at him and I said, hey, bud, hey, I just want you to know, if you don't learn how to have a better attitude toward your chores or toward working hard, you will starve. <laughs> you will never have a job. You will never get married. You, all those things you think you want to buy, you'll never have the money to buy them until you learn 
how to have a good attitude and work hard. Seven years old. Now, you say, well, he's seven. Well, can I just tell you, I worked with teenagers for 16 years. And if you wait to teach your teenager at age 16 how to work hard, you're a little late. Amen? And so I, I taught, you know, so here's the funny thing. Hampton now, when he does chores, he may feel like he wants to whine, but he doesn't say anything. He looks at me like, I want to whine and I really don't want to go, but I'm happy. <laughs> and, and he'll even remind me. He'll say, Dad, I didn't whine. <laughs> and I'm like, you can brag all you want because <laughs> it's all good. Now, here's the other side of it, okay? I have another son and his name is Hank and he's nine years old. And guess what? He wakes me up to do chores. Amen. The Bible... The Bible says don't favor. It is hard not to favor. I mean, he wakes me up like hours early. He's like, Dad, let's go do chores. Hey, Dad. You know, and he asks questions like, Dad, what else do you need me to, to do? I'm like, you're a miracle, child. I'm just like, you are an angel. You know, I mean, he's like, you know, Dad, let's go. Let's get some chores done. What, you know, Dad, can I use the hammer? Hey, Dad, can I, you know, cut that? Can I do this? Can I do that? And here's what he loves probably more than anything right now in his life is pigs. Right? He gets, you know, to show pigs for the first time. He's nine years old. He's going to be in 4-H or he is in 4-H now. So he gets to show pigs. And so, again, he, he is eager to go work his pigs every day. Every day. It's so fun. I mean, I, I, again, I want to sleep in a little bit because I just like to sleep in. But he likes to get up. And he likes to work his pigs. And so we'll go outside and we'll work his pigs. And, and, you know, and, and, and he'll say, Dad, I want you to practice being the judge. And I don't know if you've ever shown before, but there's obviously a way to show pigs. And that is to never be, to be between your pig and the judge, right? You want, you want the judge to see your pig. So, so Hank will say, Dad, walk on the other side. And so I'll walk on the other side of the pig, and then he'll walk around the other side and show from the other side so that I get to see his pig, and we get to practice. And you say, well, why do you do that? Why is he so you know, uh, excited about that? Well, here's why. Because he knows the show is coming. The show is coming. I mean, we just had our local show. My kids, I mean, they dominated. They won grand and all this fun stuff at the local show, which was outstanding because I think there was four pigs. <laughs> I'm just telling you, but I don't, don't, that, that, that's, that's beside the point, but they did good. So anyways, they, they did good. But my son, Hank, he's like, man, you know, dad, I hope I get to show pigs, you know, next year. And I'm like, you haven't even gone through the year. <laughs> so, but he's excited about it. And so you, you say, well, why is he excited? Again, he's ready for Oklahoma City. He's ready for the State Fair. He's ready for Tulsa. Why? Because he wants to impress the judge, right? Here's the point. One of these days, we are going to get to experience the greatest show that has ever been displayed by God. And you know what that is? The second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen, you say, well, what's that mean? What's the second coming? Well, again, it's going to be a show ring in the sky where God says, hey, son, I'm ready for you to go back to the earth and save other people. I'm ready for you to go back. And so one of these days, Jesus is going to come back. And listen, here's the thing. What or uh, here's the question. Will you be ready to see him? 
Will you be ready to see him? Here's, the, here's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to be judged. Just like you go in the show pen with your pig, everybody gets judged. Guess what? Everybody's going to be judged, and there's only going to be one judge, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's coming back. And so again, today, I, I want to start a series called Chores. How, hashtag, by the way, hashtag, how to be ready when Jesus returns. Now, here's the thing. Some of you guys are like, I've never heard a message on the second coming. I've never heard a message on Jesus' return. Can I just tell you, I'm sorry. Because this is one of the greatest events that you'll ever be able to talk about. And so here's the thing. So many people are like, you know, they, ha- they say, well, what is the second return? Well, let me give you a little back history, okay? Jesus actually came to the world 2,000 years ago as a, as a child, and again, some of you guys maybe have never read the Bible. This, this is a lesson. Jesus came to the earth. He was born to a little girl named Mary, right? Who was 15, maybe 13. She was just a teenager. And she had a son named Jesus. And Joseph was his stepdad, right? His real dad was obviously God. But his stepdad was Joseph. And he was raised in this home in a town of Nazareth, which is over in Israel, Right? And he was raised till he was 33 years old. And at 33 years old, he fulfilled the purpose of why he was born. And what was that purpose? Well, here's the purpose. To die for you and I. And at 33 years old, he died on a cross. He was crucified so that we could be forgiven of our sins. But that's not the cool part. Here's the cool part. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing, before he left the earth, he actually rose from the dead, he appeared to a bunch of people, and then he said, hey, guess what, I'm leaving. I'm going to heaven, but here's what he promised. He says, I'll come back. Look at it with me in Acts chapter 1, it says this. So that when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And then he replies, listen to Jesus' words here. He says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem and and throughout Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was what? taken up into a cloud while, he, while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into the heaven and into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will what? Return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if you're like me or not, but I, I, if I was standing there where the apostles were standing and, you know, Jesus starts floating, I'd be like, where's David Blaine? Where's da- Anybody know who that is? The magician, when you watch that guy on TV and he starts levitating, you're like, that's freaky, man. I mean, how's that guy catch that bullet in his mouth? You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's one of those magicians. And I, I, I don't, maybe you're not like me, but I would be like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing? Where are you going? Get down here. What are you thinking? I mean, I I would probably be freaking out going, where are you going? 
And then, and, and I guarantee you, that's what the apostles were doing. I mean, did you see it? I mean, then, guess what? There, then, you know, what happened was two men in white robes showed up and just appeared as angels to speak to the apostles. I don't know about you, but I'd be freaking out at that too. And there, I, can you just see it? I don't know if you can see it, but I, I picture this stuff in my mind where these angels show up and they're like, hey guys, what are we looking at? <laughs> you know? I mean, they're like, hey, what, do we, what are you guys looking at? And they're like, well, we just saw Jesus go up into the clouds. And they're like, hey, I have a message for you guys. Jesus went back to heaven, and guess what? He's going to return. He's going to return. Yeah. And you say, well, you know, what is that going to look like? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, guess what? It tells us what it's going to look like. Look at it with me. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding what? Shout. Now, again, I don't know if that excites you, but I kind of like it. I like being loud a little bit. I like having a little fun, having a little shout. I mean, I could just see Jesus going to be, yip Kaye, come on. Did I scare you, Patrick? I mean, he's seriously, I think he's going to have a little fun with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's not going to be, hi, guys, here I come. No, he's going to be like, yeah, come on, we're headed back to earth. You know what I'm saying? And so that's what he said. He said, I'm going to, you know, with a commanding shout, with a voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God. And then listen to this. First, the Christians who have died will raise up from the grave. Now, th- again, this isn't zombie land on Netflix. So, but this is this is true stuff here. But it, he says they will rise up from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Again, I, I, in my childish mind, I think, I get to fly? <laughs> Anybody with me? I mean, I'm saying, I, I dream that I fly all the time. I'm always afraid that I'm going to get hit, you know, in the hot wire. You know, the, the, live, the high wires or whatever those are, electricity wires. I'm always afraid of that. <laughs> but, but this says that I'm going to, that dream's going to come true. I'm just not going to hit the wire, right? So I get to go and I get to be with him in the air. And then it says, then... We will be with him or the Lord, how long? Forever. Forever. So what? Encourage Encourage each other with these words. Well, can I just encourage you today? Jesus is coming back. And he is going to come back on a cloud. And we are going to get to meet him in the air. And it's going to be a glorious thing. Amen? And so so here's the thing. So you say, so how do we get ready? Well, here's what I've learned, and, I, and I'll go back to my kid's story in a second. It starts with a right attitude about his coming. It starts with having a right attitude that will lead to right actions. And you say, what should our attitude be uh, uh, you know, about his coming? Well, I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Um, you know, some people, again, some people, when you think of the second coming, uh, some people maybe get excited, right? They're like, you know, again, I don't know why I always go to older people, but older people may be like excited because they're like, get me out of this world. You know, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm feeling, I feel pain and all this stuff. And they may be ready and excited. You know, there are some people that, you know, they hate the world so much that they're wanting to escape the world. Are you with me? Some people are just kind of, you know, again, they think about heaven as an escape. But then you have younger people. And a lot of times when you deal with younger people, I was a youth minister for a long time. When you say, hey, Jesus is going to come back. They're like, oh, great. Really? Like today? 
And, and they're, you know, they're not so excited about Jesus coming. You say, well, why not? Well, again, think about when you were a kid. What did you want to do? You wanted to get your license, right? You want to learn how to drive. You wanted to get your own car. You wanted to win state, you know, in high school and all that stuff. You, you didn't want to die maybe a virgin. <laughs> yeah, some of these teenagers, I'm just telling you, or some of these, you know, even single adults are like, please don't come back, Jesus. Please don't come back until you show me the one and I get married. <laughs> Amen. Anybody with me? Patrick's down here. He's single. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. But some people are like excited. Some people are like, no, don't come. Some people are fearful. Some people worry about it. Some people, again, they're not ready. But so, so many people have mixed feelings about his return. But, but I, here's what I want to tell you. We need to have a right attitude toward his return. And you say, what is that attitude? Well, here's the main point for today. You ready for this? Number one, we should eagerly look forward to Jesus's return. Eagerly. Look forward. I mean, just like my son Hank eagerly looks forward to the show that he gets to show his pig, we ought to look forward to Jesus' return. And you say, well, why? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 9. It says this, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment, so also Christ died for all time as, as a sacrifice Once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will what? He'll come again. Not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are what? Eagerly waiting for him. Again, I don't know if you've ever been eager about something. But if you're eager about something, guess what? You're excited about it, right? You're excited. you, You have a great expectation. You're ready for it, right? I mean, some of you guys just started school. Were you eagerly waiting for school to start? No. <laughs> some of you guys are excited about the last day of school. Can I get an amen? All the teachers. <laughs> All the teachers are excited. Maybe you're excited about getting to go on vacation this summer, right? <laughs> some of you guys are excited about the last day of vacation. Amen? Give me home. I'm going to sleep in my own bed. But again, we are called to be eager about Jesus coming back. We're called to look forward to it. Look at Philippians 3. It says, Now, dear, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved this, but I focus on this one thing. This is Paul talking. Listen to what he says. Forgetting the past and what? Looking forward to what lies ahead. Here's what I've learned. And I heard it from one pastor. He said it this way. The direction of faith is always forward. The direction of faith is always forward. We don't live in the past. We don't worry about the past. We give God the past and we look forward to what lies ahead. And you say, well, what lies ahead? Well, listen to the words of Paul. He explains it in in 2 Timothy 4. He says, as for me, my life, and listen to what he says, because he's at the end of his life. Listen to this. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now, now the what? The prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who what? Eagerly look forward to his appearing. 
And you say, Bo, why should I eagerly look forward to his appearing? Well, here's, I'll give you a few answers. You ready? Number one is this, because we get a prize, right? I mean, think about it. You, you, you prepare for the show, right? You go to the stock show. Guess what? If you show up, you're prepared and you do your hard work, you're going to win something at some point, right? I mean, you may come home with a buckle. You may come home with a banner. You may win first or second or whatever it is because you've worked hard and you've eagerly prepared for the future. It's the same way with Jesus. We get a prize when he shows up if we've eagerly awaited for him. Um, I don't know if you had parents that took you on vacation, um, but my parents, they took me, I think I only had one vacation with my parents that we went off and it was to Red River one time. But I had these other friends, <laughs> and my parents are awesome. I'm not dogging them. But I had these other friends, and their parents, they would actually go away without them. That's a real vacation, amen? So they would leave their kids, you know, at home, and then they would go on vacation, you know, as a couple or whatever. But here's what, you know, my friends would say. They'd say, you know, before my dad left, he, he actually promised me that he was going to bring me something back if I was still alive and my sister was still alive and I didn't burn the house down. Amen? You know, are you with me? Some of you guys maybe had parents that said, I'll bring you a prize if you don't do this, if you obey your aunt or your grandma or whatever it is. Well, can I just give you a clue? Listen, our dad in heaven, guess what? He's going to return and he's going to come home here in just a little bit. Not actually home because heaven is his home. But he's going to come back here in a little bit. And guess what? If we're doing our chores and we're doing what he's asked us to do, guess what? We're going to get a prize. And you say, what's the prize? Well, the prize is a crown of righteousness. Look at it. And now the what? The prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And you say, what is the crown of righteousness? Well, I'll explain it real quick. You ready? I believe it's a literal crown. I believe that I'm going to get a crown. Um, And you say, well, what does righteousness mean? Well, I'll give you two definitions. You ready? First of all, righteousness comes when you accept Jesus into your life. You cannot make yourself righteous. Jesus is the one who makes you righteous. But here's the other side of it. Once you've given your life to him, you can live a righteous life. Are you with me? So you live a right life. You live according to his word. And then you are living the righteous life. And so here's the question that I have. Are you both? Do you know Jesus? Has he made you righteous? And are you living a righteous life? You say, well, what what will I get if I do that? Well, the Bible says that you'll receive a crown of righteousness. Again, and you think, well, I, you know, I don't have any reason to, to, to be eager to see Jesus. Yeah, you do. If you know him and you're living for him, yes, you do. Again, he's going to give you a prize. Here's the second thing that you get when, when you um, eagerly await for him. You ready? You get to go home. You get to go home. I mean, look at it with me in Philippians 3.20. It says this, but we are what? citizens of heaven, not earth, we, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are what? Eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. Here's a, let, me give you a, let me share with you a secret. This world is not your home if you know Jesus. Amen? 
Hebrews 13, 14, it says, For this world is not our what? Permanent home. We are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. Here's the, here's the, here's the point. We're just passing through. You say, why did you sing the song, Blue Bonnets? It's because it's about how the blue bonnets, they come and they go. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Guess what? It's the same way with our lives. Your, your home that you live in now, guess what it is? It's a rental. You say, nope, I own it. No, you don't. You may pay a mortgage on it, but you don't own it. And you'll never own it. The land that you get to call yours right now, guess what? You're just a steward of that land. One of these days, it's not going to be yours. The money that you think is yours, one of these days, you're not going to have that money. It's temporary. But here's the cool thing. If you know Jesus, and if you are eagerly awaiting for his second return, guess what? You're going to get to go to your real home. You're going to get to experience a mansion in heaven that that you don't have to have a mortgage for. Can I get an amen? Debt-free. <laughs> I love that. You're, you're not going to have any more payments, <laughs> right? You're going to be able to, to, to experience your permanent residence for eternity. And so you say, Bo, why should I be eager for Christ's return? Well, you're going to get a prize and you get to go home. You say, why else? Well, here's the third thing. We get a new body. Anybody like this one? Anybody want a new body? I mean, look at it. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says, He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into what? Glorious Glorious bodies like His own. Now again, I don't know if you think like I do, but when I think about a glorious body, I think about six-pack. Are you with me? That six-pack. I think about pecs like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, I want lat. I want some lats, you know, in my back. All those things, that's what I think about, right? I mean, I want to experience that glorious body. And guess what? If we know Jesus, and when he returns, guess what we get? We get a glorious body. I don't have to wake up and roll out of bed with back pain anymore. Amen? Amen. I mean, my feet aren't going to hurt anymore. All those things that you ache and you, you know, feel in the morning or after you work hard or after you run like 40 yards... You don't have to experience that anymore because God is going to give you a new body. And can I just tell you this? Not only will he give you a new body, he's going to give you a new mind. I don't know if that excites you, but it excites me. You know why? Because I'm not going to have to deal with the temptations, the pain, the anger, the disappointment, all those things because I'm going to have a perfect mind. I'm going to have a perfect body, and I'm not going to have to deal with all those things anymore. And so the third thing is we get a new body, and here's the last thing, and I'm done. The last reason we should be eager to you know, look forward to Jesus' return is number four, we get to meet Jesus. <clears throat> We get to put sight to the voice that we embrace when we pray. We get to put sight to the voice and the, and the, the person that has saved our souls. We get to put sight to the, the hope of the world, the creator of the world. We get to see him. We get to experience him. Again, all those other things, the prize, the body, the home, all that stuff, all that stuff is great and superlative. But the greatest things that that we can look forward to is knowing and meeting Jesus personally. Amen. 
You say, well, why should I be eager to meet Jesus? Well, listen to Titus 2. It says this, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from our godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we, what? Look forward with hope to a wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Yes, He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us His very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. You say, why should I be eager to see Jesus? Because He's forgiven you of your sin, hopefully. And some of you guys are here today, and you're like, man, I don't, I, don't know that I, I don't know that I look forward eagerly to seeing Jesus because I know I don't know Him. Can I, just, can I just share with you some great news? You can know him today. He died for you. Yeah. He died for you on that cross so that you could know him personally. And you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear his return. You can know him personally today. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. Again, some of you are here today and you're like, man, I don't know that I'm eager to see Jesus because I don't think that I know him. Well, can I let you in on another secret? Jesus wants to know you. You say, I don't know about that. I've got too much sin. I've got too much stuff and baggage and I've done too much wrong. No, listen, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will clean you up. Come to me and I will show you mercy. Come to me and I will show you grace. Come to me and I will forgive you of your sin and I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so maybe you're here today and you need to experience him for the very first time. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, the Bible's clear that if you'll confess with your mouth that he's the Lord of your life and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so maybe today, right there in your chair, maybe, you know, as you sit in the cell barn today, you, you say, well, I want to know him personally. Well, can I just lead you in what we call a prayer of salvation? And you say, well, what's that about? Well, it's not about the words. It's really about your heart. But for all of us, we've experienced his salvation by asking him to be our Lord. And so maybe you just need to maybe pray something like this. Maybe in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know that you came to the earth to die for my sin. And so today, I'm bringing you my baggage. I'm bringing you my dirt. I'm bringing you my past. I'm bringing you my hurt. Please forgive me. Save me from my sin. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Listen, maybe you just prayed that prayer for the very first time. Can I just tell you, like I say every week, 
you've made the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Here's why. Because now you have the hope of eternity in heaven. Now you, ha- you can look eagerly forward to Jesus coming back. And you say, well, Bo, I, that's awesome, man. I, I'm so glad I made that decision, but what do I do now? Well, that's why God created the church. And that's why he gave us his word so that we could learn what chores he would want us to do before he comes back. And so here's the thing. In the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what chores God has called every one of us to do before he comes back. And so I hope that you'll come back for next week. Here's the thing. Maybe some of you are here today and you already know Jesus and and you've been made right because you've accepted him, but you're not living a life that is righteous. Your actions, your behavior say otherwise. And so maybe you need to confess your sin today and just ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin so that you can be ready if he was to return today. And so maybe you just, in your chair, you just need to maybe pray something like this. Jesus, forgive me for not being eager for your return. Forgive me for the sin in my life. Forgive me for the actions that I'm living in right now that I know aren't pleasing to you. Actions that I'll never be able to justify when I meet you face to face. And so, Lord, forgive me. I want to be right with you. I want to be ready when you return. Listen, I hope that you confessed it like I've had to do and like everybody else in this room needs to do. And I hope that you're ready and you're right to meet Jesus. Because guess what? He's returning. And it's probably sooner than later. So here's what I want to do. I want to close this in a word of prayer. Heather's going to come. She's going to teach you and show you how you can connect to our church. If you have questions, we would love to be able to answer those. We'd love to be able to pray with you. Myself, Patrick, um, you know, David, all of us would love to be able to pray with you. And minister to you. And so just please connect with us so that we can help you and rejoice with you and, 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 and grow with you. Lord, I come to you right now and I thank you that you have promised that one of these days you're going to come back. One of these days we're going to be able to see you face to face. We're going to get the crown that you promised to those who are eagerly awaiting for your return. We're going to get to go home. And we're going to get new bodies. And so, Lord, we praise you for those promises. And we look forward to seeing you soon. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen.